These are the journeys of Paul. We know that Paul came to Christ Jesus, or more appropriately, Jesus Christ came to him on the road to Damascus at the approximate age of 32. I don't know for sure. I wasn't there. Uh, perhaps George, when he comes back, we can ask him. Um, that's just a joke. I love George. But according to the early church fathers, he was about 32. He spent much of the next 30 years spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in what we would call modern Turkey, Greece, and most of the Eastern Mediterranean. He is, at this time, can we go to the next slide, please? In the Mamertine prison. Now, it was a horrible place. According to Sallust, a Roman historian, didn't necessarily like Christians, its neglect, darkness, and stench gave it a hideous and terrifying appearance, and people did not live long once they were assigned or placed in this prison. So why is he in prison? I mean, he's preaching the gospel. Anybody here ever been threatened with prison for preaching the gospel? You know, just telling people about Christ. History tells us through the writings of Sallust and Tacitus, first century Roman historians, that on July 19th, AD 64, a fire broke out in Rome, destroying 10 of the city's 14 districts. And the fire probably started accidentally, you know, fires start, a lot of wood buildings right close to each other. They spread. They didn't have the fire department like we have to call out and take care of things. It just burned. But the rumor started that Nero intentionally had that fire started. And Nero did everything he could to stamp out that thought. And when he had given lavish gifts to people who were spreading rumors to get him to stop, that didn't work. He made, you know, sacrifices to the various Roman gods. That didn't work. And so what did he do? He blamed the Christians. Because out of the 14 districts, 10 burned to the ground that left four to those districts and part of another one were populated with Christians. So why would their area not burn and everyone else's was Nero's thinking. People were arrested. People were thrown in jail the ringleaders were thrown in that prison. Now, 
Peter was in that prison at the same time. We have no record of them, Peter and Paul, talking. But eventually, when Paul was um, killed, so was Peter. It was a tough time for Christians. Paul and Peter were martyred sometime between 63 and 65 AD. Nobody knows the exact date. The letter to Philippians, which we're going to look at today, it was believed it was written sometime between AD 62 and AD 64. Long time ago. Paul is in prison. He's going to die and he knows it. In spite of that, the first chapter of this letter teaches us a lot about optimism. Now, here it is, New Year's Eve. Is anybody optimistic about the coming year? Or are we looking at it with dread? Like, oh my goodness. I personally am optimistic about it. And... As we look at this, I encourage you to think about being optimistic about the future as well. We're, we as a church have some uncertainty going on, don't we? That's enough to kind of bring us down a little bit. Our pastor is leaving. He's been here 10 years. And God has called him to another place. And we're going to miss him. Paul wrote in Romans 8.31, and could you put that slide up, please? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know, that's not all the things we want. That's all the things we need. We don't need to hope for the best because God is in control. But Paul's sitting there in prison. I'm sure it's not pleasant. Timothy can get in and visit him. I'm sure Timothy went in with the rag around his face and... and uh, the stench, I understand, was horrible. But Paul opens his letter, Paul and Timothy. And then if we want to be optimistic about things, the first thing that Paul brings up is that we honor the past. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Wait a minute, he's in prison. The worst place he could be, being tortured. I offer my prayer with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul thanked them. He wanted them to remember the great things that have happened in the past. They had been a blessing 
to the body of Christ. You know, remembering the past is almost sacred in the Bible. I mean, the Passover was an observance that they were to remember what had happened in the past. The book of Psalms, next slide, thank you, is filled with the command to remember. David in Psalm 77, one, honors what God has done in the past. He says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. And failure to remember what God has done sometimes brings some problems. In Psalm 106.7, our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. So it's a good thing to remember the past. How long has this church been here? A hundred years at least. We're darn close to it. Once again, I wasn't here, George was. We can ask him when he gets back. I suspect that there are and will be people in heaven because of the ministry of this church and the people in it. Now think about that. People who could have cared less for God came to a relationship with Jesus Christ through the efforts of this church. How many pastors have we had? Five, ten, we had one for 30 years, Tom? 35 years. We've had Ian for 10, that's 45. And other pastors have been here in, you know, throughout the time. Understand that God has used you. Every person in this room, in some way God has used you by something you've said, something you've done, and you probably don't even know. But that's okay. We're not here to count points for ourselves. If anything, we're here to count points for God. But all the things that have been done here would not have occurred without the joys and, yes, the sorrows, the people, the places, and events of the past. So in a way, Paul begins this letter by honoring the past, but it reminds us we cannot live in the past. We have to look for the future or build for the future. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't that a powerful statement? Probably to me, one of the best statements in the Bible. It used to be a song we'd sing in church that was, he who began a good work in you. And, and I, a lot of times it brought me to tears. Because I was not the greatest person in the world when Christ grabbed me. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus is called the author and finisher of our faith. 
Think of that. And whatever God begins, he will finish to his glory. I was a construction super, superintendent. I did huge projects, 500 million, a couple that were a billion. I was part of a team that, that did those. Huge. But my reputation was 95%. In fact, in meetings, they say, go get 95% and bring them over here to start this job. Because at 95%, I lost interest. We were done. I mean, it was just, you know, taking care of the little finish ends. And I, 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 so they'd just move me to another job and have my assistant finish it. And my assistant would join me eventually. But God doesn't work that way. If he has touched your life, he is going to finish what he started. Sometimes we really like what God's doing in our life. Sometimes we may struggle with what God's doing in our life. Things aren't going well. We are being persecuted. Your age doesn't matter. How long you've been a Christian doesn't matter. From birth to our earthly death, we should constantly be growing in our walk with him. We should do the things that he has called us to do. We all know people who retire, stop working, sit around watching, I don't know, what's a TV show that's on? Um, what'd you say, Mary, help me out? YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I guess times have changed, haven't they? But you sit there and just do the same thing every day and you die. You have no other interest because you die. You know, the thing is, we can be busy for the Lord and the YouTube guy is busy for the Lord. I've seen it. We can be busy for the Lord until the day we die. Whether it's the actions we do or the words we speak, we can be busy. We honor the past, but God is calling us into a future with him. The reign of the Lord Jesus guarantees that he is going to see us through to the end. Our next verse is verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers of, with me of grace. One of the great themes of Paul is that God gives us grace. Hmm. He mentions it to the Galatians in Galatians 2.21. He says, I do not set aside grace for his righteousness came by the law, then Christ died in vain but we have grace. We are saved by grace. We are kept by grace. And the question would be, do we show that same grace to other people? Do we think about dealing with people, homeless people, 
with grace instead of looking at him and going, what an idiot. Or other bad words that I've heard. We are to deal with each other with that same grace. And it extends to everyone we come across, whether we like them, whether we don't like them, whether they're an enemy, whether they're a best friend. We deal with people in grace. And what does grace mean? Very simply, unmerited favor. They don't deserve it. We don't deserve the grace God has given us. But he just gives us that unmerited favor. Next verse. Abound in love and knowledge of Jesus. Verse 8. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Wow. Paul shows that his heart is for loving the saints with the affection of Christ Jesus. So we give people grace. Do we love people the way Christ Jesus loved us? That's what Paul's saying here. He loves them the same way Jesus Christ loves them. Watch people. Oh, our best friends. You know, the ones we hang out with in church. No. We are to love people with that type of love. That's a pretty awesome thing. And then, if you consider it, he says that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge. Wow, how much do you know about God? How much have you learned by going through his word? How consistent are you in your Bible study? Is it daily? Is it monthly? Is it, yeah, sometime when I get a chance. You know, one great thing about the phone is that we all can have Bibles on it. It's not like, oh, I forgot my Bible. No, you got one with you. If you don't, talk to me after service and I'll show you a couple good ones to go to. Good study Bibles on your phone that don't cost a dime. As hard as it may seem, loving people with the affection of Jesus, with that knowledge and with that understanding, how does that work? Most of the guys I've hung around here in church, I tell them I love them. It's not a weird thing. It just, I do it. I'm a little hesitant with the ladies because some might misunderstanding might occur. But ladies, I love you as much as I possibly can as sisters in Christ. And that's the theme behind what he's saying. And to do it with that knowledge, you know, love is not blind It really isn't. But we're supposed to do it with knowledge and discernment. And what is discernment? 
moral perception, insight, and the practical application of knowledge all based in love. Think of that. Discernment is an awesome thing. Next verse, slide 10. And we're getting close to the end. And I still got 45 minutes to go. I'm joking, I'm joking. So that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Who makes us blameless? Jesus Christ. His death on the cross makes us blameless. What if we deviate from the path that he wants us to follow? Will he still hold us blameless? If we confess our sins and we get back on the track on the right track, we're blameless. Is anybody here not sinned today? Yesterday? In the past six months? No, we all sin. None of us is perfect, but Jesus Christ has made us perfect in God's eyes. Think of that. That's our Christian life, isn't it? That we should work to be pure and blameless. That means we just try to do the best we can with God's help. Practice his praise, verse 11. We're to do all this being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Hmm. What is fruit? It's something that produces when something grows, right? So the fruit of righteousness is something that grows in us, that fruit of righteousness we carry around with us. And we give glory to God for it. A righteous person is going to display certain actions and attitudes that confirm the nature of their heart. This isn't describing perfection in our lives, but direction in our lives. And I'm not talking about a works righteousness or anything like that. It's just God saved us. He wants to go a certain direction. And these are the things we talked about. If I can get the right page up here. That we honor the past. We build for the future. We glory in grace, abound in knowledge and love of Jesus. We keep our eyes on the eternal and we practice his praise. Could Paul be optimistic? about where the church was going with all this persecution that's going on? With people being killed daily? 
with the streets of Rome lined with crosses where Christians are being crucified? Where Nero had posts in his garden where the bodies of Christians were put up there and burned to light the garden. Wow. That's a lot to go through. And when they come up to you and say, well, you're next. That's kind of a scary thing, isn't it? But Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul being in prison can't preach, can't evangelize, can't travel He's stuck in that smelly, stinky hole. And yet, the gospel is going out. He says, to the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. Well, who are the rest? Well, how fast does gossip travel? I mean, they didn't have, you know, uh, Facebook or or. Tic-tac or whatever it is. But it spread. God says, whatever has come into my life, I know, my, I know he is causing all things to work together for me. Whatever predicaments we may face, The most optimistic thing I have is that I'm going to be in heaven with him at the end. So whatever happens is going to happen. But I do my job. I focus on Christ and I move on. How's that working out for the world? Well, Persecution spreads the gospel. And you're going, say what? 20 years, Center for the Study of Global Christianity. The continents with the largest incidence of persecution all combined average 68,256 conversions to Christianity each day for the last 20 years for a total of 498 million new Christians. That's in persecuted countries. You know what the daily average was for all of Europe? Eight. Does persecution spread Christianity? I think it does. The continents with the least persecution average 2,000 conversions a day for the last 20 years for a total of 14.5 million people. Hmm. Continents with more population, 2,000 a day, 
continents with the largest incidence of persecution, 68,256 conversions. Do you understand now why Christianity spread so much during the first, second, and third centuries? The persecution, people weren't afraid. Well, if I tell them about Jesus, I'm going to be so embarrassed if he doesn't like it. That's the way we feel sometimes, isn't it? Oh, I'd, I'd just be too embarrassed. I can't stand rejection if he doesn't accept it. So we don't. I'm going to kill you if you tell him about Jesus Christ. Okay. There's a big difference there. Brothers and sisters, we're going to heaven. If we believe we're going to heaven. So what if they kill us? Seriously. I'm 71 years old. My back hurts. My knee hurts. My head hurts. Why wouldn't I want to go to a place where everything's perfect? God still has work for me here. So I'm still here. But why be afraid of anything? Rejection, whatever. Explain the gospel. Why is it so much different between the persecuted countries and those that don't have much persecution? That's a message for another time. 